Hello, and welcome to the first of two podcast episodes in the series Prep Roadmap, Where Are We and Where Are We Going? My name is Jessica Adams. I am an HIV clinical pharmacist and scientific director of infectious diseases at Clinical Care Options, and I will serve as the host for this podcast series. In these two episodes, I will be speaking with global experts on HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, known as PrEP as well as PrEP users and advocates to get their insights on the potential for current and future PrEP modalities to play a critical role in ending the HIV epidemic. In this first episode, we'll be discussing PrEP Today, a prevention revolution. We'll discuss how current PrEP regimens represent a revolutionary step forward in enabling many individuals to avoid HIV acquisition. Since the FDA approval of the first oral option for PrEP more than a decade ago, additional options for daily and event-driven use and long-acting options have been studied and made available in certain settings and populations, and a countless number of HIV infections have been prevented. With consistent use, PrEP is estimated to be 99% effective at preventing HIV acquisition from sexual transmission. I spoke with Linda Gale Becker, professor and director of the Desmond Tutu HIV Center at the University of Cape Town in Cape Town, South Africa, about how PrEP has been revolutionary in allowing users to take control of their sexual lives. I think we have had an amazing 40 years of research and discovery in HIV, and perhaps a landmark for all of this has been the development of antiretroviral agents, of course, in the first instance to treat HIV, but now as their application as part of pre-exposure prophylaxis, it truly has been revolutionary for prevention as well. And the reason I say that is initially um, our options for prevention were quite limited. Um, You'll remember the ABC. So our choices were either abstain from sex be faithful to a single partner whose status you knew, or condomize. And very much in that context, it was all about male latex condoms. So this, of course, leaves a large proportion of the population who are at risk of HIV acquisition out because, you know, it isn't always possible, for example, for young women to request that a male latex condom should be used in order to ensure safer sex. Um, And so the wonderful thing about pre-exposure prophylaxis is now for the first time, it really does put prevention and safer sex in the hands of the individual themselves. So I've heard young women describe PrEP as being able to take back their own sexual destiny, being able to be in control again of uh, the outcomes of uh, of their sexual lives in terms of risk of HIV acquisition. And so, you know, that's the wonderful thing is it really does provide a discrete user-controlled method uh, to prevent HIV. We know that one of the most powerful ways to prevent HIV is that a positive individual, somebody living with HIV, starts antiretroviral treatment, becomes undetectable. Of course, undetectable equals untransmittable or uninfectious. But that 
is a kind of an indirect way of preventing HIV. PrEP means an individual can actually exert the control themselves. Um, and so by taking, literally taking a pill a day, they can prevent HIV. It's powerful. And how has the availability of PrEP affected people who use PrEP? I also spoke with Kenyon Farrow, a PrEP user and advocate in the United States, about how PrEP has revolutionized people's sexual experiences and, for some cisgender men, their health in general. You know, I think for myself and for other people who uh, I know who have, uh, you know, been on PrEP, um, you know, in some ways it's been, it's revolutionized, I think, a lot of people's um, sexual experiences. You know, I think, one, you know, being, uh, you know, a Black gay man and, you know, growing up kind of, I'm sort of the second generation of the epidemic, right? I was a kid in 1981 and safer sex has been kind of a part of my framework from pretty much my, for in my entire sort of sexual life, right? Just um, in the time that I grew up. And so to go from, you know, having the kinds of background sort of fears about condoms breaking or et cetera through my entire, you know, sexual history uh, and being panicked about HIV tests, you know, at times, even if I was very, and I was very condom consistent, but, you know, there still was just that kind of underlying fear. And to be in a world where there's, you know, PrEP and a medication you can use to prevent HIV that's as simple, you know, uh, initially as, as one pill a day and now there's some other modalities, really changed the level of, of kind of fear and anxiety I had around, you know, sex in my sex life. And I, I hear that consistently um, from folks who start PrEP. The other thing that I think we don't talk enough about is especially for cisgender men, right, you know, gay, straight, bisexual, what have you, um, you know, we often are the last to use healthcare in so many different ways, right? We are the people who will not, as it's often joked, go to the doctor unless it's itching, burning, or, you know, other, otherwise, you know, uh, in some kind of pain. And uh, what I've heard from other people who started PrEP who say had other sort of health conditions, whether they were uh, had type 2 diabetes or high cholesterol or hypertension or other things, that actually starting PrEP um, and being in consistent sort of communication with their doctors about their, you know, sexual health actually changed their relationship to their overall, you know, health and what they sought in primary care in general. We've heard how PrEP has empowered people to take control of their sexual lives, revolutionized people's sexual experiences, and for some, improved their experiences with healthcare in general. But what is the potential real-world impact of PrEP on preventing HIV transmissions? Dr. Andrew Grulick is a medical epidemiologist at the Kirby Institute at the University of New South Wales in Australia. He recently presented a plenary at the 12th IAS Conference on HIV Science in Brisbane, in which he discussed the potential for PrEP to contribute to HIV transmission elimination and the extraordinary progress that has been made in New South Wales and specifically in inner Sydney toward the prevention of new HIV infections. I asked him to summarize the data and progress that he presented at IAS. New South Wales is a state of 8 million people in Australia, of whom about 5 million live in Sydney. And the epidemic here is predominantly in gay and bisexual men, about 70% of diagnoses. So we, we really focused in on that group 
in this analysis. We saw from between 2010 and 2022 a 60% decline in gay bisexual men statewide, which in itself is, of course, terrific and was similar to what we see in the rest of Australia. But we were very interested in, in looking uh, geographically within Sydney because we, we'd noticed a pattern in the notification data that the doctors who usually notified HIV uh, infections in New South Wales and inner Sydney were getting very few diagnoses from those doctors. When we looked at the data in the area of inner Sydney where most gay and bisexual men, we saw that there was an 88% decline in HIV uh, diagnoses over that period, an extraordinary decline. And the declines are actually much less in the outer suburbs of Sydney. So how did you get there? What contributed to that success? Yeah, so it certainly has been a long road. And uh, I think, you know, as, as background, it's worth noting that we, we've had good uh, government support to, for work in uh, HIV prevention really since the beginning of the epidemic. New South Wales. So we had needle and syringe exchange very early. Uh, we um, had the decriminalisation of sex work, which enabled almost 100% condom use by sex workers from early in the epidemic. But for these later changes, it really is biomedical prevention. The biomedical prevention strategies that Dr. Grulick is referring to include both treatment as prevention and PrEP. Progress toward the UNAIDS 95-95-95 goals gives us insight into the impact of treatment as prevention on the avoidance of new HIV infections, because the 95-95-95 goals are that by 2030, 95% of people living with HIV will know their status, 95% of those who know their status will be receiving treatment, and 95% of those receiving HIV treatment will have a suppressed viral load. And we know that when someone's HIV is virally suppressed or undetectable, they are untransmittable as well. So certainly treatment as prevention is an important contributor to the elimination of HIV transmission. But what was the role of PrEP in the 88% decline in HIV diagnoses in inner Sydney from 2010 to 2022? So we saw a really great progress over that period towards uh, the UNH 95-95-95 goals, uh, although the proportion diagnosed is a little less than 95, more like 91 or 2, um, um, but we're getting close to those goals. And then we had enormous PrEP uptake over that period. New South Wales wasn't the first place to roll out PrEP. We didn't actually roll out PrEP until 2016, but when we did it, we did it in a big bang. We did it quickly and at scale. Um, and uh, so that by... Uh, 2022, something like 80% of at-risk gay and bisexual men in inner Sydney were taking PrEP, so extraordinarily high coverage. I think where we probably lead the world is with our um, PrEP penetration uh, in these gay and bisexual men. So it's those two things coming together. It's no one silver bullet. It's very much treatment as prevention and PrEP and a background of condom uses as well. And, and so PrEP has been promoted enormously broadly in New South Wales, and we've been really helped by that in that we have strong community organisations which are funded by government, uh, which have done really wallpaper within this area of Sydney, you might say, about PrEP. So, you know, PrEP posters are on the side of trains, they're at bus stops, 
they're very, very, it's very visible. And it's hard for a gay man in this part of Sydney not to know that the way to stop HIV, if you're HIV negative, is, is to be on PrEP. So that sort of high-level promotion has been key um, to getting gay and bisexual men on PrEP. We in Australia talk about um, a, a partnership approach to HIV, and it, it really is a real partnership approach between multiple players. And the, the leaders of it all, of course, are government. And we've been um, really blessed by the fact that HIV has never been a political issue in Australia. It's, it's, it was essentially declared apolitical in the mid-1980s, that it was too important to leave up to politics, and it's been evidence-based since then. And so we have, we've had conservative governments come and liberal governments come and come and go, but uh, it really hasn't impacted government support for evidence-based HIV prevention programs. So, so that's been important and, and I think almost unique in the world. There are other factors which are critical, which vary a lot around the world. So we have a good public health care system where everybody can afford um, to see a doctor, everybody can afford the drugs, and everybody can afford all the pathology testing. So all of those things are covered through our national uh, health care system. But really, I think it is that partnership approach between government, between community organisations, which in our setting are funded by government, based around uh, key performance indicators to ensure they're staying on track, and with researchers who are very much part of the approach and, of course, clinicians as well. That's great. Do you think the same progress is possible in areas that have higher proportions of heterosexual HIV transmission or transmission through IV drug use? Will PrEP play as big of a role in those areas? It, I, th I think it will be challenging in uh, places where heterosexual transmission is the predominant mode and it is. Um, uh, it doesn't occur at high levels. Uh, for, but one place where PrEP will be fantastic for heterosexuals is in the high transmission areas of sub-Saharan Africa. There's no doubt about it, that if you target that PrEP, essentially all young sexually active people, so we're talking you know, really quite high levels of use in those sub-Saharan African countries um, where HIV is most common, um, you know, PrEP works for um, heterosexual men and women, and the long-acting forms in that setting will be terrific. I think in settings where HIV transmission predominates in heterosexuals, but it's very, but it's very uncommon, the trick there will be um, coming up with ways to target those at risk, uh, and it won't be simple, um, but PrEP does work if you're heterosexual or uh, a gay and bisexual men. We don't have data on its effectiveness injecting drug users for cabotegravir, but there is evidence that oral PrEP does um, uh, prevent HIV infection uh, in, uh, in injecting drug users. So it certainly has a role there. But injecting drug users, we know how to prevent HIV through needle and syringe programs. And that should, I think, should be a predominant uh, approach. Many of the experts I spoke with stressed the importance of having PrEP options including long-acting formulations available to different populations who could benefit in order to see progress toward HIV transmission elimination, like in Sydney, in other settings and populations. Britt Williams, a cisgender woman receiving PrEP in the United States, shared the benefits to having multiple effective PrEP options available. PrEP has given us an added layer of protection against the replication of HIV in the body, right? So we have these two market available options, the daily oral, which is what I take, and we also have the long acting injectable. And when both of those are taken as prescribed, they're over 99% effective. 
And when I began my journey, the long acting injectable was not an option for me as a cisgender woman. And I think simply the fact that in the short time that I've been an active prep user, the fact that these two modalities exist, uh, they offer people some options so that they can pursue a range of, of options for meeting their needs, for being able to take up prep as part of their sort of health regimen. And so I would say it gives us an option for one that's more private. It's it's more between you and your doctor, and that would be the long-acting injectable. And then a daily oral where you have a little bit more control. You get to decide when, where, and how you take your medication and what that looks like for you as part of your um, HIV mitigation strategy. For cisgender women, oral FTC TDF and long-acting cabotegravir are the PrEP options currently available although access to long-acting cabotegravir is still expanding globally. For cisgender men and transgender women, on-demand or event-driven FTC-TDF and daily oral FTC-TAF may also be options. To understand why event-driven PrEP was studied and its importance as a PrEP option, I spoke with Jean-Michel Molina, who has spearheaded the Ypres-Gay and Prevenir studies of on-demand PrEP in men who have sex with men and transgender women. Event-driven PrEP is first an alternative to daily PrEP. So it's another option. So people have the choice. And we know that in the field of prevention, it is important for people to have many different options. And the more options we have, we hope the more people will use PrEP. The uh, other uh, interest of um, uh, on-demand PrEP is that it may fit uh, the sexual behavior of some individual better than daily PrEP. And in particular, people who have unfrequent uh, um, sexual relationships. People who have, I would say, less than uh, or not more than one sexual intercourse per week. Uh, in that case, using on-demand PrEP, they would um, actually need less PrEP, less pills than uh, being on a daily regimen. And uh, also, it, it makes no sense to take pills if you're not at risk of HIV acquisition. On-demand PrEP means taking FTC-TDF only around the time of a sexual encounter. It is also referred to as 2-1-1 dosing. Two pills are taken 2 to 24 hours before sex, one pill is taken 24 hours after that first dose, and another pill is taken 48 hours after that first dose. So for someone having sex once per week, this would mean a total of four pills per week instead of the seven that would be taken with daily dosing. So what lessons were learned from the studies of on-demand PrEP? It's interesting that we uh, started to uh, think about on-demand PrEP uh, more than 10 years ago now. And the reason why we wanted to assess on-demand PrEP was because we thought people who have no disease uh, would be uh, probably in a difficult position to take a daily pill. And we thought that the adherence with on-demand PrEP might be better than with daily pills. And uh, that's why we conducted the ERS Ypergay study first, assessing uh, versus placebo whether the use of on-demand PrEP would be effective in preventing HIV infection among MSM, men who have sex with men in France and in Canada. And, and actually the results of the, uh, uh, this trial were beyond our expectations. And we, we, we've learned three main lessons from that study. First, we were able to measure uh, the incidence of HIV in this population. It was very high. 
Um, and we had no idea of uh, such a high incidence, especially in uh, large cities like Paris, where the incidence was nearly nine per hundred person years of follow-up, so very high incidence. The second main lesson was the high effectiveness of the strategy versus placebo, because we had a, an 86% relative reduction of HIV infection as compared to placebo during the double-line phase of the study. And during the extension phase, the uh, reduction of incidence was 97%. So a very effective prevention strategies. And the, uh, the, the third lesson was that on-demand prep was very effective because we tested on-demand prep in this trial. So it's not only prep that was effective, but these, uh, you know, dosing regimen of on-demand uh, that is uh, also called 211 that was shown to be highly effective. There is no doubt that having multiple effective PrEP options has contributed to the revolutionary progress of PrEP to date. Britt Williams previously mentioned another highly effective PrEP option studied in cisgender women, as well as men who have sex with men and transgender women, and that is long-acting injectable cabotegravir, the first in what is anticipated to be a large pipeline of longer-acting PrEP modalities. Beatrice Grinstein is director of the STI-AIDS Clinical Research Laboratory in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She has been an investigator for many seminal global HIV prevention research studies, including serving as co-chair for the HPTN-083 study, which evaluated injectable cabotegravir for PrEP in men who have sex with men and transgender women. The next generation of PrEP drugs will focus largely on the use of long-acting injectables or extended-use preparations. Long-acting cabotegravir is a novel integrase strand transfer inhibitor that is administered as a single gluteal injection every way eight weeks. As compared to daily oral TDF-FTC, cabotegravir uh, in the studies that were conducted, HPTN-083, uh, that was uh, where we studied long-acting cabotegravir for the populations of men who have sex with men and transgender women in all the regions. So we had 43 sites uh, across the different regions. And uh, cabotegravir was shown to reduce the HIV incidence by 66% in this population. And uh, that's major because uh, given how effective TDF-FTC is, if taken as prescribed, this is a huge result. In the study HBTN-084, we saw an even better result for cabotegravir long-acting. This HBTN-084 was done for young cisgender women in different countries in Africa. And so it was compared to TDF-FTC, it reduced the HIV incidence by 89%. So even better than among MSM and transgender women. So this is a major result for uh, cisgender women. So data from these two studies, HPTN-083 and 084, led to FDA approval of HEB-LA for HIV prevention back in December 2021. And since then, uh, other countries have approved cabotegravir-LA for prevention, such as uh, Australia, Zimbabwe, 
uh, Botswana, uh, more recently Brazil, that's the first country in Latin America to get the approval, South Africa as well. But even though approvals are in place, it doesn't at all mean that this drug is incorporated in public health programs for PrEP. So the, we, we need this major step that is the assessment on how Cabotegravir LA can be implemented in real life. So historically, we know that the introduction of evidence-based technologies into public health programs has been fraught with delays that resulted in missed opportunity for impact. We saw this for uh, oral prep. We took a long time to have it really implemented uh, across, across the world. So it's critically needed for us to understand how to efficiently and effectively bring these new PrEP products to people at risk of HIV infection, always building upon the lessons learned from the oral PrEP scale-up in order to prepare the field for this novel technology. In this episode, we heard from experts around the world on how current PrEP regimens represent a revolutionary step forward in enabling many individuals to avoid HIV acquisition and the remarkable progress made in cities such as Sydney toward HIV transmission elimination. We also heard about the PrEP options currently available that allow many individuals the choice of PrEP modality that best fits into their lives. In the next episode, we'll hear from these same experts on barriers that have prevented the full potential of today's PrEP regimens from being delivered, how those barriers might be overcome, and how the next generation of PrEP modalities may address unmet needs and take us closer to a future without HIV. Linda Gale Becker from the Desmond Tutu HIV Center at the University of Cape Town shares her excitement for the future. I think it is an exciting time. We are imagining all kinds of new innovations to ensure that people do get access to these kinds of prevention modalities, because I believe if we can do this, we truly uh, can have a stab at reducing new infections and move ourselves very much closer to epidemic control. Mm -hmm.